Thank you, Dennis, for inviting me to share some of my story. It's a privilege to be able to share some of my experience, strength and hope. My name is Toya. I'm a recovered alcoholic. My sobriety date is the 26th of March, 1994. I am grateful that I have not needed to pick up a drink of alcohol since my first meeting on that day. And as I was promised at that meeting, you can leave this room. You need never drink again if you so desire. I'd first heard about 12-step programs when I was about 14 and it was suggested to me that I go to Alateen. I was already drinking by then and hiding it, uh, lying about it, uh, being secretive so my parents wouldn't know. Uh, I did come home drunk one night and they were very angry with me. But when it was suggested that I go to Alateen, I was angry and said, no, he's the problem. If he stopped drinking, everything would be okay. And a counsellor or whoever it was that visited our home said, no, it's not about your drinking. It's because your father drinks. And again, I was very angry then and, and uh, refused to go to Alateen, simply believing that if my father stopped drinking, everything would be okay. I had been a straight A student when I started high school, but um, by the age of 13 or 14, I was binge drinking every weekend and using other substances as well. I left high school to work at a government agency around about the age of 17 and uh, left that job after not very long to uh, go around Australia with a boyfriend at the time, thinking it would be different over there. I didn't see many of the usual tourist attractions at the places I went. Basically what I knew about South Australia was they drank Coopers, uh, Victoria, BB in Victoria, Four Eggs in Queensland and the Darwin Stubbies up in the Northern Territory. I worked in... I wasn't a daily drinker so for many years I didn't think I could possibly be an alcoholic. I had a checklist of things that made me different didn't drink in the mornings, didn't drink every day, I was too smart, I was too young and so on. However, uh, the period of time I lived in the Northern Territory for about five months around the age of 18 or 19 I drank every day. One of my rules around alcohol was that if you're on holidays it's okay to drink every day and I was on a let's say a working holiday. I had a part-time job at the post office up there, which I really enjoyed. And I also enjoyed drinking every day. I had a couple of, um, I blacked out one day in the, uh, in a caravan park. I'd been out in the sun, in the hot sun. And well, I'd been under the shade, but it was a hot day. And I had been drinking that morning already. Took some other substances and uh, literally collapsed and there was an old E.H. Holden, our car, and when I fell down um, I came to with some people looking down at me with worried looks on their faces and they said my head had only just missed the bumper bar of that E.H. Holden and it, it, I just brushed it off as one of these things that happens and I always had a fear that when I went out to places, to parties, that there wouldn't be enough alcohol. So I would drink before I went or I'd take my own drinks and made sure that I got my fair share. One night we'd been to a party up there in Darwin 
and I, I asked of course you know is there going to be alcohol there how much alcohol do we have to bring our own and they said no no there'll be punch there that's fine and I figured nobody ever made punch strong enough or there wasn't enough so I took a large bottle of vodka with me and the the kind of selfish greedy drunk that I was I clung to that bottle and was reluctant to share it with anyone I, I recall maybe putting a little bit of it in the punch uh, but fearing that others would drink the punch I uh, continued to drink from that bottle of vodka and I came to in the caravan the next morning again people looking over me worried and my boyfriend said last night you said you were never going to drink again and I immediately backtracked on that and said no 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 I, I don't think you know I wouldn't have said that no 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 uh, I'll, I'll never drink vodka again that's it and for the next four or five years my drinking um, continued in that kind of a pattern I came back to Perth and it was nightclubs parties pubs I didn't think I was an alcoholic I thought I was a social drinker because I never sat home alone drinking um, and I had asked my mother why my father drank at home alone like that and she said he did used to drink with people but he had drank people out of his life over time and uh, and I was fortunate in my job at that time it was very difficult to get sacked from the place I worked uh, one time I was overlooked for a promotion and I was most indignant about that when I asked for feedback why didn't I get the job which I felt should have been mine I was told that I took too many sick days again in my entitlement and arrogance uh, I was very uh, indignant and said well I had a doctor's note for all those times and um, I got a transfer to a different department so my drinking went on like this um, I lost my driver's license for drink driving at one point and there was a couple of other charges related to that incident and uh, I tried I felt this increasing uh, unhappiness and darkness and depression and loneliness and discontent discontentedness I used to blame my boyfriend for that uh, he also was heavily into alcohol and other substances and and I just blamed him I thought it was all his fault I didn't realize then but I had made him my higher power and made him responsible um, finally at the end of my drinking I yeah I tried the counselors psychologist self-help books joined the gym became a vegetarian tried to find mr. right thought mate what if I had better furniture I, I don't know but I, I knew somehow that none of these things were going to make any difference I tried to find help through religion I'd gone to a church and it just made me feel worse about myself I saw all these shiny happy people who looked like good and nice people and and I felt so terrible inside and I knew I wasn't living life the right way, drunkenness, uh, you know, sometimes um, having Jekyll and Hyde personality changes and so on. I, I wasn't proud of myself and, and I wanted my mum to be proud of me and so I hid it from her. I led a double life. I went to work Monday to Friday, nine to five, immaculately dressed, immaculately made up. But on the weekends, it was a booze and drugs free for all. And I hid that from my mum. Uh, but she knew something was wrong 
But for, for some reason, she did never confronted me about it. She never asked me what was wrong. She would lend me money to see me through to payday, and I always paid it back. Again, justifying that it's not a problem, I always pay it back. However, when I finally hit that last rock bottom on the 26th of March 1994, again, I'd come to out of a blackout, and I was terrified, and I realised that I, I can't go on like this. Something has to happen. I didn't know... What, what it would be. And I said to my mum, I, I have a drinking problem. I think I'm an alcoholic. And with that, the floodgates opened and I was sobbing and howling, crying, because to be an alcoholic was the last thing in the world I wanted to be. I hated alcoholics. I felt contempt for them. I thought they were nasty, stupid, weak people. And I can't be in that category. My mum, said I can't help you if you want help you have to get help for yourself she gave me the phone book gave me the number of a telephone alcohol and drug counseling line I rang that number it was a Saturday I was hung over and I said I think I'm an alcoholic and I was terrified because I didn't want to be an alcoholic and he said don't be too quick to label yourself and that struck fear into me if I'm not an alcoholic then what's wrong with me and he said, perhaps you'd better give AA a call. I was getting a bit short with him. I was very, very sick, very hungover and frightened, terrified at what might be wrong with me. And as I said, I got to my first meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous that night, 26th of March, 1994. I have not needed to drink since. Such is the power of this program and so much has been given to me since then by the grace of God. And I say the grace of God uh, meaning the God of my understanding, my own higher power, not a God of religion, uh, but my very own personal belief in a power greater than myself. And a week or two be before I'd arrived at that meeting, I had prayed to something, someone, whatever's out there. Why am I here? If I'm on this earth just to work, to earn money, to, to pay bills and buy material goods, if that's it, I'm out. I'm not doing it. That's not good enough. I was really searching for meaning and purpose in my life. And I was very disconnected, alone, lonely, despairing, full of self-pity. I didn't see that at the time. I didn't know this was my poisons, self-pity, selfishness, self-centeredness. I've only learned that since coming to the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I've heard that the truth will set you free. So it's not a negative thing for me to, to have a look at myself, to take a good, long, hard look in the mirror and to clear away that wreckage of the past, to see where I've been at fault and to quit playing the blame game. I always blamed my parents. Uh, I blamed other people. I blamed the teachers, blamed my boyfriend, blamed my friends. But in the end, there was no one left for me. My world had shrunk down to just me. Uh, thank God my mum had stuck in there with me. And so I'd caught a bus and two trains across to the other side of the city to attend that first meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. I didn't want anyone to see me walking into an AA meeting, but I had been in a blackout on the streets of Perth the night before and anyone could have seen me and my bad behaviour. And so it was a relief to find out in Alcoholics Anonymous that I'm not a bad person, I'm a sick person and I have an allergy to alcohol. Once I start, I can't stop. It sets off the phenomenon of craving. So if I don't pick up that first drink, I can't get drunk. But what precedes that first drink? Because I'm sober, 
or dry if you like before I take that first drink so with these binges I might go for two or three without weeks without drinking functioning seemingly like other people showing up for work paying my bills and so on but inside I was dying mentally emotionally and spiritually bankrupt I had no, I had nothing to give anyone and I thought everyone had to give to me and so AA isn't really a self-help program it's a self help others program and it was suggested to me to do 90 meetings in 90 days in the beginning and I thought that sounded extreme I didn't even drink every day why should I do a meeting every day but something told me that my thinking wasn't to be trusted and uh, all my efforts my, throughout my 12 year drinking career had brought me to ground zero had, had uh, amounted in nothing nothing of any substance or worth or meaning beyond the material so I became teachable and open-minded and I started attending meetings every day. I found a sponsor, just like in other areas of life, in business or education, people have mentors, coaches, and in Alcoholics Anonymous, we have a sponsor, someone who will take the time to pass on to me freely what was given to them and take me through this 12-step recovery program. So I had done step one, completed step one on that first day. I'd given up the fight, surrendered. There's many paradoxes in AA and that first paradox ha happens at step one, surrender to win. And then uh, find a connection to a power greater than myself through these steps. And someone said once that the unexamined life is not worth living. How fortunate am I, through no virtue of my own, to be brought into this beautiful way of life which involves uh, daily examination of my life and myself and my attitudes and seeking correction through a power greater than myself an application of spiritual principles such as love patience tolerance forgiveness kindness understanding service to others and so initially I balked at this house cleaning, this personal house cleaning, this inventory taking, I balked at that. I feared what I would find would be too ugly. I can't possibly face it. And there were some in the rooms who suggested taking your time, don't go rushing into the steps. But that doesn't make sense to me because if I'm at step one, I have a mess. I need to get out of this mess. How do I get out of this mess? Firstly, by cleaning up that wreckage from the past. So I took that inventory. There's a warning in the, in our basic text, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, there's a warning in there that says, if I don't do this house cleaning and share it with another, I may not overcome drinking. And the thought of going back to that hell I came from terrified me. So I did a first uh, inventory and shared it with uh, an alcoholic priest. There was a priest in the rooms at the time, Father Dan. I shared my first step five with him and I made amends to the people I'd harmed and um, and now today I live in the relapse prevention steps 10, 11 and 12 10, step 10 I continue to take inventory continue to have a look at myself and try to weed out those uh, deficiencies or problems that could lead me back to drinking things like resentment, selfishness, envy, jealousy, fear, anger if these things are left to fester within me, they can lead me back to drinking. It was really a revelation for me to find out that alcohol is not my problem. 
my problem are all those poisons I just mentioned and I can't afford to foster or dwell on these poisons because they can lead me back to drinking. So through the step 10 inventory process, I can see these things when they crop up. I can ask my higher power to remove them, but I can also take active steps to practice the opposite. If I'm experiencing envy, I can practice gratitude for what I have rather than looking at what I don't have and rather than comparing myself to others and to seeing what they have. Anger, we have anger for a purpose. It's an energy. Uh, if I need to take action on some injustice, then I need to do that. However, I can't hold grudges. I can't brood on things. I can't manufacture and enlarge these things in myself. They're dangerous. And self-pity, again, for me, the antidote of that is gratitude. I can't afford self-pity and I avoid it like the plague today. I simply won't allow any self-pity into my life and in fact when I look at the life that I have today it's absolutely laughable to imagine that I could even experience any self-pity. That education of mine that was interrupted by my alcoholism at a young age, I, um, I was able to go to university for the first time. I had a baby, baby by that time. She was uh, two years old. I was eight years sober and I, and I went to university. I didn't know if I could do it or not. And in fact, when I first started reading the big book, I was scared I might have done permanent damage to myself, to my brain. I, had, I couldn't concentrate. I couldn't read more than one or two paragraphs and I'd get lost and have to go back to the beginning and read it again. But AA has taught me that one day at a time, one step at a time, anything is achievable. So I started out at university and thought, well, I'll give it a go and see what happens. And if it doesn't work out, at least I tried. And, uh, and I remember sitting at the very front of that large lecture hall with my baby in the pram and I had tears in my eyes. Finally, I'm here, I'm actually at university. It was a big, big deal for me. And um, from start to finish, I did a bachelor's degree, postgraduate diploma and a master's degree at university. From start to finish, it took 17 years. And that's fine. It's okay. One day at a time, anything is achievable if I just keep showing up. And um, so I have a career today that I'm very, very grateful to Alcoholics Anonymous for. Because when I went to uni, I got a mentor. I thought, wow, they were offering... Uh, new students mentorship and I AA has taught me yeah I don't do anything by myself I get I take advantage of all the help that's offered to me whether it's at uni at Alcoholics Anonymous at work anywhere my pride uh, doesn't get in the way false pride can kill me I'm not scared to ask for help today still even at 29 years sober I don't hesitate if I need help I will ask for it I will share with my sponsor and sponsees and fellows uh, my beautiful daughter who's 23 years old and also has been sober for three and a half years now has never seen me drink and we have this beautiful program of recovery that we can share together and I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful that AA has taught me to live and uh, life, that life is about so much more than not drinking. If this was just about not drinking and having that same life that I had back then it's not what I wanted. I had to have something different and it has been given to me in Alcoholics Anonymous. So when I had cried out to God, why have you put me here? 
Within a week or two, I'd found myself in the meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous and uh, somewhere within those first few days, uh, there's a portion out of our basic text read at each meeting, how it works. And step 12 of how it works is, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all our affairs. And there was the answer. Uh, to my crying out to God, why have you put me here? I saw it. Get sober. Stay sober. Help other alcoholics to achieve sobriety. That's my purpose in life. There's my meaning. That's my mission. And it's something I feel very, very passionate about. I love Alcoholics Anonymous and I try to carry this message today in any way I possibly can. And so it's my hope today that uh, by my sharing some of my story, some of my experience, strength and hope, it might help someone somewhere. Thank you for listening.